Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 300. I, I need some noisemakers like at uh, New Year's Eve. Recorded March 24th, 2019. So we've been doing this for, uh, I think originally we were going to do it for three years, but uh, somehow <laughs> they just keep making more. So we, we've been doing it for like well, 10 years, Ken. But even if they didn't make more... We had we had a lot to get through. Okay, so we began recording somewhere in late November-ish, uh, 2009, right? 2009, yeah. And then it took us a little while before we finally got the website up and got our editing down pat and got the format kind of worked out. So we didn't actually post until November 2010, right? Isn't that, that what is, I... That's correct, yeah. Right, so that's what iTunes said. Um so we've been doing this for ten years, or go, or coming, yeah, two thousand, yeah, going, coming close to ten years, right. nine and a half ish. That's amazing. Yeah. Can you and, imagine doing anything for ten years? I mean, no, 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 <laughs> except work. But yeah, other exactly. than work, <laughs> something fun that you've been doing for ten years. Uh, exactly, that doesn't, doesn't happen very often. But no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But it's yeah. been a, an excellent journey with you, Donnie. Yeah, I can't so. imagine, you know, going a week without talking to you about Star Trek comic books. <laughs> <laughs> well, for 10 years, go for we've week, had an right? excuse to get together and talk about Star Trek comic books. Oh, oh yes, yes, it's completely been, agreed. It's been great. Exactly, exactly. And many other things in the uh, sci-fi and fantasy and whatever genres. We're all over the map when we chit-chat. But um, definitely on this podcast, we are focused on Star Trek comic books. And we're going to do some new ones today, right? Yeah, so uh, we did skip a fairly large section of some classic Star Trek comics when we uh, did not do the UK comic strips back when we were doing the uh, the original series stuff. So it took us 10 years, right. but we finally uh, finally getting around to the, uh, the comic strips that came out in the UK in, right. uh, what was it, 1969? Right, exactly, yeah. So it came out a couple years after Star Trek debuted in the U.S. I think the comic didn't the comic books come out a little bit ahead of when they started showing the TV series in the U.K. I think. Well, according um, yeah, according to the uh, book jacket, uh, I think that was by Rich Hanley. He said that uh, it came out like a month before the TV show started in the U.K. There you go. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. So I guess they had this thing going because, of course, Gary Anderson. And a lot of his uh, TV shows, Thunderbirds especially, um, and he had many others too, uh, using all the puppet kind of stuff and sci-fi kind of things and cool ships and all that kind of stuff, had a big following. And I guess there he he had his name on a uh, publication, Joe Ninety, Top Secret, and I think these comics showed up in some other publications too. But I think a lot of them are are being published as part of the Joe 90. So it wasn't being published in newspapers as much as it was in these monthly uh, magazines? Uh, they were weekly magazines. Weekly magazines. There you yeah. go. Okay. 
Yeah. So uh, actually, you, you mentioned some of the. So here's a few details from the jacket cover. Uh, the story. Okay. So uh, these stories were normally serialized, uh, generally two to three pages at a time, in 257 weekly magazines spanning five years. So they did have a five-year mission, at least in the UK, and 37 storylines. So anyway, uh, Rich Hanley, who is somebody that we've been in contact with, a very cool guy, um, he was involved in the editing and he of, of three volumes of these UK comics, and he did the intro to at least the first volume. So that's right. pretty cool. And I think these might be scans of his actual collection. So this is, these are actually what he he collected over the years. Right, that's pretty impressive, and they look yeah. good. I mean, they they really do look good. But it sounds like they did some extra work to enhance them and maybe uh, maybe do some some processing to improve the coloring or restore the coloring and right. some things like that. Because there are some people. Um, that were involved in color restoration, Lorraine Turner. So, okay. but these, but these are beautiful. These are beautiful books. They're hardbound. There's three of them, hardbound uh, books, and just nice quality paper and everything. Uh, if you're a fan, this is this is a wonderful way to uh, read them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, IDW released these trades, and they also did the UK. I mean, uh, the UK, but the US comic strips in a similar way. Right. So they published all those uh, those strips that were all kind of like uh, based. Uh, we did it part of the the post motion picture series that we did, right? Where uh, it was the Los Angeles Times issues or strips, but uh, but yeah, IDW they do these uh, compilations and they definitely go all in on the quality. Yeah, really good. Okay, so before we start the comics, though, this being the three hundredth episode, can I be more shocked? I don't think so. We have decided to do a little giveaway. A giveaway, and an appropriate giveaway for the podcast. We have an Eagle Moss model of the Shinzo, uh, which is a great ship. It was featured prominently in the first two episodes of Star Trek Discovery, Captain Giorgio's ship uh, that was destroyed. A very cool ship. And Eagle Moss produces some wonderful products. I've got many of their uh, Star Trek ships in my own collection, and they're really cool. And we've got the Shinzo to give away. I- I'll even pay for the for the shipping. So we're, we're covering the shipping just uh, to the U.S., though. <laughs> so <laughs> if somebody is in Australia or something, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, it's all free. We'll ship it to you. Just need the address. And if you would like to claim this wonderful thing, the first person that shoots us an email... At the email address that we give at the beginning of, of every uh, opening of the show, which is S-T-A-R-T, so Star Trek, comic book review, all spelled out, all ran together, no dots or anything between the words, at gmail.com. The first email we get, of course all emails have dates and times, that is the person that will get this wonderful ship model. Right. All finished, yeah. beautiful, painted, very cool. And that email address again is star t comic book review with with no spaces, right? Um, at gmail.com. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So, is All there right. any other any other business to be done? No, I don't think so. Just, uh, I guess we just jump into this. Uh, we're going to do the first three stories. Um, like Ken said, uh, they were released 
basically two pages at a time. The first story ran for like six weeks, and then the next story was uh, four weeks, and then the next one was another four weeks. So basically the first uh, 14 weeks of this comic strip series. If we don't have anything else, I guess we'll just jump into it, Ken. Let's do it. All right, so I will do the first one. Uh, There's no cover. The issues were part of uh, Joe 90, issues number one through six, which have cover dates of January 1969 to February of 1969. The writer is not known. Uh, The artist is by Harry F. Lindfield. The story starts with the Enterprise being rocked by a cosmic storm from a supernova that happens to knock out a sensor aerial from outside the ship. Captain Kurt orders a repair crew to go outside the ship and fix it. While the repair crew is in space, they notice a beautiful planet that they happen to be in orbit of and mention it to Captain Kurt. Kurt is surprised about the mention of a planet since they thought they were out in the middle of space. And now they open up some windows and they see that there is indeed a planet there and that they cannot con- they cannot trust the ship's computers or sensors. Kurt orders the crew back onto the ship and they sit by while the Enterprise lands itself onto the mysterious planet. Once the ship has landed, they disembark the ship via a small vessel that, that pops out of the bottom of the saucer section. Uh, when they get to the ground, they are greeted by a small army of robots. The robots are able to stun the whole crew and load them into a land vehicle. En route, the land vehicle explodes but nobody is harmed because they happen to be in some force field or something but now the force field's down and they make their escape they make their way into a large room that has a giant statue of a human also there is a computer bank close by and the crewman tries a vr helmet and he gets zapped while the crew is attending to the unconscious crewman some large robotic hands come out of the ground and grab them while in the hands grasp Helmets are placed onto the humans and Spock's head. They are shown images of humans from a million years ago building this great planet of robots. The crew then speculates that Earth humans at this time were still cavemen, so maybe Earth was populated by alien humans. The computer in the helmet stops their speculation by stating that the planet's power source is running out and the Enterprise is being dismantled for its power cells. The hand is about to kill the crew when Spock orders the computer to stop. It does so. Due to the law of robotics that a robot can never harm a human who is their creator. Spock has the arms put them down and they can plan their next steps. Suddenly, some robot soldiers find them and start shooting. Spock tries to order the robots to stop attacking the humans, just like he did with the robotic arms. But the robots say that they were built by other robots, so that law no longer works on them. Spock then orders the huge hands to save them, which they do pop out of the floor again and grab the robotic soldiers. The captured robots inform Kurt, who is now calling himself Kirk, that if they are not released, the rest of the crew will be killed. Kirk has no option and he agrees and he releases the robots. They return to the somewhat dismantled Enterprise where Kirk and Spock are tasked with removing the power core. As part of the extraction process, Kirk is able to expose the core to cobalt. This causes the core to become unstable and Spock says that it will explode in 15 minutes. Kirk's plan is that uh, he'll hand it over to the robots and they'll be far away before it explodes. 
when they do hand over this ticking time bomb, the robots surprise Kirk by saying that they want him to personally install into the power core of the planet. With no other option, he agrees. Later in the planet's power station, Kirk using some robotic arms to place the power core into the reactor, knowing that it'll explode in any minute. Kirk bends the rod in such a way so that it will not go in easily. He asks his robot guard for some extra help. While distracted, the robot does not see when Kirk presses an emergency shutdown button. This causes the arms to lock up, meaning that the core will be completely exposed when the 15-minute countdown elapses and finally explodes. Luckily, Kirk and Spock are able to hide behind some boxes and somehow survive the huge explosion that takes out almost all of the rest of the city. Spock and Kirk return to the ship where the robot guards are all shut down. Kirk says that he will be filing a report saying that they found a lifeless planet. And then we are to assume that they go on and somehow fix and rebuild the Enterprise using only hand tools and no other robotic arms or anything from the planet. The end. Well, my, wasn't that all over the place? <laughs> it kind of was. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. Yeah, so interesting, I guess. Man versus robot. There you go, man versus machine. Classic. Right. And I did like how they made reference to the, you know, the, was it uh, Rod, not Roddenberry, um, Bradbury Isaac. that came up? Oh, Isaac. Isaac uh, Asimov. Asimov, yeah. Yes. Made the rules of robotics. Exactly. But yes. I did like how they kind of made a twist on it where the second generation of robots. That were built by robots? Yeah, they, their allegiance <laughs> was to robots and not humans. Yeah. I actually kind of like that. Yeah, well, that it's that is kind of interesting. The basis of the uh, three laws of robotics was not necessarily anything about who created who. Sure. I mean, it just said you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't harm humanity or by through inaction, you know, allow humanity to come to harm. You know, it's it's light. You know, it's probably aimed at a younger audience, and they didn't necessarily have to. Uh, in some ways, they're so inaccurate to the TV show, but in some ways, they are kind of accurate. I mean, definitely, uh, the actors look like the actors. I mean, Kirk yeah. looks like Kirk, and, and Spock looks like Spock, and uh, oh my god, I don't did this one show Sulu? But when yeah. they show Sulu, he doesn't look very good. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good. Uh, really? I, I on, the, on the very first page? Okay, let, let, let me go back to the very first page, because uh, especially on the cover... I mean, look at him on the cover. It's it's a little embarrassing. You know, it's like, uh, let me see. Yeah, I don't think he looks very good. On the cover? No, he's, he's bad. No, and he looks not as bad, but that one panel, you do kind of see a decent shot of him while Spock is behind him, uh, you know, shouting. Right. Um, and he, he looks better in that, but still, not great. Anyway. But the uh, ship looks good. I think all the ships look good uh, yeah. that, that are supposed to be ships from the TV show. Then then they go out on their own to make up new ships. So instead exactly. of having a, a shuttlecraft, they have what they keep calling the uh, the space wagon. <laughs> or space bug. Sometimes they call it space bug. Maybe not in this one. Oh, no, the but... space bug is the later one, which is the, the, the red one. I think this is, this is well, just the, yeah, the so repair this... wagon. The repair wagon. There you go. Ex yeah, yeah. Anyway, but but they keep on coming up with new things. So as we'll continue on, this thing doesn't look like it's yellow, and it's almost got like 
like taxi kind <laughs> of black and white like checkers on it checkers exactly odd um and it's got a deflector dish in the front which is interesting i didn't know it went up to light speed and it's got arms but it, it doesn't look like anything i've ever seen before definitely nothing on star trek no but i will bet you that there is something somewhere in british science fiction that has something that looks like that oh i bet i mean uh thunderbirds always had ships that kind of look like this well with the very round cockpit and stuff like that right and definitely what we'll see in the next issues is especially the, the the second story we will see that very much they are channeling thunderbird 2 is it well anyway i'm jumping ahead right uh, but they borrow designs very liberally from things that are like happening back in the 60s late 60s so the the spacesuits look a lot like what was used in 2001 a space odyssey yeah much better than the ones actually used in star trek the original series <laughs> you hate those oh my <laughs> god you hate those <laughs> it's just a mesh front face oh no the, the actual spacesuit i guess the spacesuit looks okay i just don't like the uh the ev suit that they use when they're on the um the naked space one where he's able to oh, actually wh- scratch his face while he's in a contamination suit, which the contamination suit's just that mesh thing on his face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I hate that one. Yeah. Well, but, uh, I, I, I like the one that they had him in towards the end. That seems like the only, I mean, the helmet is just like got a camera lens on the front of it. That's the only way you can see. That was weird. Right. You know, when, when they were dealing with the, uh, the core, the power core or whatever, and trying to slip those rods in. Yeah, but that wasn't their ships, right? Oh, no, well, that know. was that was on the Enterprise. Yeah, you're right. And it had numbers on them for some yeah, reason? Yeah, ex- number two. Yeah. Yeah, it looked like a, like a big, like, camera head, guys. Yeah, but... yeah, which made no sense. Well, it was kind of odd-looking. Kind of odd-looking, yeah. But, um, I mean, it, it would have been handy if Spock wore that when he was, you know, taking the, the power core apart in Star Trek Two. He might not have died. Oh, he might <laughs> exactly. Rather than keeping the helmet off and just uh, what would he? Right. He just had arm hand things, right? Yeah, he just had gloves. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, so they liberally. Apparently, no one ever showed them photos of the Galileo shuttlecraft. So they liberally go and and borrow from other things too, right? Uh, to to fill in those gaps, apparently. And the robots in the army, they look like those old wind up robots that. That I, I saw when I was a kid. <laughs> yes. Big blocky heads with an antenna exactly. coming out. Exactly. Right. Silvery. The arms are little little creases in them so they can bend, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. They, they look like uh, piping, stove piping or something. Yep. It's very retro. Right. And I that... Lo- I loved it. Yeah. Well, it is kind of fun. Uh, the, the space car or the, the floating car that they're imprisoned on and, and transported right. elsewhere. That's a very retro look too. Uh, a space sled kind of thing. Yeah, with the giant fins on the back, like a like an old, old <laughs> like an old fifties exactly. car. Yeah, a Buick. Yeah, and funny how the Enterprise was landing. Only it didn't actually touch the ground. I mean, so there was no like Voyager is meant to land. Right, and it's got like landing feet that come out or something, but the Enterprise is just like hovering. Right. Well, it got me wondering if maybe they hadn't seen the show either and, and knew didn't know that the Enterprise wasn't supposed to land ever. 
Right, because that, that's that's why they have transporters is because they, it wasn't ever supposed to land. Exactly. They didn't want to spend the money on that. Right. So, and, and really, awkward. Awkward. I mean, it was awkward enough with with Voyager when they showed, oh, Voyager can do it. Okay, great. Uh, but the Enterprise, original Enterprise especially, there is no way that thing's landing. Right. So it lands, quote-unquote lands, but it's still a good ways off the ground, at least you know, 12 feet maybe. Yep. And then like a landing ramp comes out so people can walk out of the uh, engineering section. And then that little flying saucer thing pops out <laughs> of the bottom of the saucer section where right. I guess the, the bridge crew is. Never well, seen that before. No, never saw that before either. So, and quite frankly, I, I always thought that was like maybe some kind of sensor array or something. I, at the very bottom of the saucer section in the center, I don't, know what that was ever supposed to be but it looked like a kind of domey kind of thing right um later enterprise d that's where the captain's yacht was and right the same thing with uh enterprise e and, and then uh, and then in the shinzo that's where the bridge is oh yeah which is kind of cool i kind of like that so that, right. that, that, that's a good that's a good so ship anyway, maybe that's that where the battle bridge to... is on the original enterprise oh is that really no, I'm making it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> you had me going there. No, you it's a little it's a little flying saucer from the Jetsons. You can see it right here. Oh yeah, it does. We, kind of we look now like that, know what it? it is. Okay, now we know. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so ah, so in the opening it says the Enterprise is manned by thousands. Not a thousand, but thousands. Uh, which is kind of interesting because it really was what about four hundred thirty people? Yeah, five hundred people, something like that. Right, and then uh, Enterprise D had a little over a thousand, but <clears throat> I don't know whether whether when they ever, well, they never ended up having thousands. But that'd be a big ship. That would be a big ship indeed. So, so that was kind of interesting. And then we'll see other things uh, talking about how they're hopping galaxies in later issues. Yeah, so. it's later. Yeah, right. Okay, so I, didn't, so I didn't like how, how the Enterprise was taken apart so easily, and all they really wanted was this power core thing. So not dilithium crystals, but some sort of like nuclear rod thing. That's what right. it looks like. And those things, you, I think those would be inside of the secondary hull, right? Not in the engines. Right, so why were they taking it apart? Yeah, they were definitely taking the, uh, the panels off the engines. So, Well, maybe they didn't know. Maybe they had to look. <laughs> So, anyways. So when they were first captured, when they came out of the ship in the George Jetson landing thing, I thought it was pretty cool because when they zapped them and, and knocked everybody unconscious, you could see, if you look closely, you could see that one of the crewmen dropped a phaser rifle. An original, where no man has gone before, phaser rifle. They knew what phaser rifles looked like. They just didn't know what shuttlecrafts looked like. <laughs> Or they didn't care. They just. Or they didn't care. They wanted to do their own thing. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. Which I'm okay with. Doesn't bother me. No. No, that's fine. That's fine. It's mixing things up a bit, I guess. Right. It's just. It just with IDW, when they have new alien ships, and and maybe they just have more resources or, whatever. But, I mean, they come up with some pretty interesting new ships when they do, uh, especially in the uh, Calvin universe mm -hmm. um, timeline. 
issues, they usually come up with some really interesting new uh, ship designs when they need a new one. But definitely back here with this, you know, they just retreaded other designs that, that were around uh, in the genre. So, uh, and maybe that's good because people would recognize things and they feel more a little more more invested in it if they see something they kind of recognize. But right. man, they really <laughs> they they really borrow stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I like this story. It's only six mm-hmm. pages long, but it was good. Um, the only problem I had with it was the um, – I mean, I even liked how his name was Kurt. And then oh. halfway through, they changed it to Kurt. <laughs> okay, so for the first couple weeks, it was clearly Kurt. There's no two ways about it. So did somebody like point it out to him? You know, his name's really Kirk. And it's, oh, okay, we'll fix the next one. <laughs> yeah, that had to have been it. It must have been. It right. Must have been. So that that doesn't bother me. I mean, uh, they hadn't seen the show yet, so I can't I can't expect too much, you know. Right. Um, the only parts I did not really care for was the giant robotic arms. It's oh, kind of kind yeah. of uh, you know, it's animated series kind of esque. You know, something from Scooby Doo where a giant <laughs> comes out and grabs you. <laughs> so I didn't care for that part, and then I uh, I. I have a hard time believing that Spock and Kirk didn't get blown up when the core oh, finally God. did explode. Well, you made you you commented on that. Yeah, they just jump behind some boxes and then it shows them get out from behind the box and they look out and the whole city's gone. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, they do that. These boxes, how did they survive? Are, are perfectly fine. Exactly. So, Seems a bit unlikely. Yeah. It's kind of like that episode of The Twilight Zone when Burgess Meredith comes out of the bank vault and the whole city's been destroyed. Uh, that's what that reminded me of. The, oh. that, that panel, <laughs> just like, everything's just gone. The whole city's just knocked over. Yeah, and, and somehow those magic boxes. Right. And then I just have a problem. I don't understand how they rebuilt the Enterprise. If if all the all the robots were knocked out because of the power core going away, uh-huh, right. then what did they use to rebuild the Enterprise? Yeah, well... I mean, they have some. They have their own space wagons, right? I guess the space wagons, yeah. No, good if point. If they had to, yeah. actually, but, but my, I think one of the greatest things about this is the fact that they do have nipples on the Enterprise's nacelles. So, oh yeah, you love those nipples. Oh, I love that. You're the one that kept pointing them out all the time. I just like that they consistent. Very well. Well, but they the nipples exactly. The, the nipples were only on the first pilot, right? By the but time. But then every time they reuse that same footage, it would suddenly have them again. So every once in a while throughout all Star Trek, when they reuse some of that footage, uh-huh. You'll see it, would, it would suddenly be there again. And the back of the nacelles are a little bit different. Yeah. I, I always like that. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, let me see. Uh, I think I don't have anything else much to say. Um, so I guess Harry F. Linfield, mm-hmm. uh, was the artist. Did you mention yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You said you mentioned that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I haven't read a lot of his stuff, but I think he did a lot of, uh, these strips and stuff for magazines cause he did some doctor who stuff that I've read. Ooh. And good. I think I, I really like his artwork. Oh, I think he's quite good. And except for, uh, Sulu, uh, on the cover, everybody looks really good. Uh, right. Scott Scotty looks like he's really angry about something, but other than that, I mean, it looks like Scotty. It's good. Ohura, um, she actually looks like Ohura. Wonderful. 
Right, McCoy. which is better than you know some of our stuff where she's suddenly white, blonde hair. <laughs> exactly, blue eyed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. At least it's all consistent in this one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, good work. Good work. Yeah. For never out, for the guy probably never seen a single episode of Star Trek. He was just given a script and uh, he did uh, yeah. did what he did. And, and they probably had publicity photos and things yeah. like that. And uh, that was probably it. Uh, previous to the days where you could grab a VHS or a DVD or something like that. Yeah, that's crazy to think like that. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much if you didn't if you didn't tran- watch it transmitted, you didn't see it. Like some of the old Doctor Who's that were never that were lost. Right. Yeah, they're just gone. Yeah. So. But yeah, I tell I tell my kids that I'm like, yeah, so like when I was a kid. If you watched a movie and you really liked it, you would go buy the book, you know, the novelization uh-huh. or the comic book of it because right. that was that was your only way of re-experiencing that because there was no VHS right. market until, you know, I was yeah. older. Yeah, until they showed on TV. Right. You know, eventually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Once a year you could watch it. It's like, oh, yeah, once a year I get to watch, uh, the, you yeah, know, yeah. Flash Gordon. Exactly. You know, <laughs> aside right. from that, I just had the comic books and the, and the novelization right. or whatever. Yeah. And even the TV show. I mean, I was I'm old enough that I saw some of the original episodes of Star Trek, and then thank God it went into daily in some cases syndication. But I used to love that. I mean, especially when you could tell they were going around the horn again; they're going to start all over again. I like some of those early episodes. Right. But again, you'd have to watch it on you know broadcast on TV or audio tape. Well, uh, oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. I, we may have talked about that before, but I had a whole shoebox full of audio tapes with Star Trek episodes. Yeah, I was a little bit younger than you, kid, so yeah. I, I did do the uh, audio recording of For what? my favorite shows, but it was Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a little collection of the Alvin and the Chipmunks. Oh, cool. I didn't know and, that. And, you know, we're, but we're talking through it or whatever. I mean, it was like... Oh, you, it, was, it was literally me just turning on the the recorder next exactly to, next in to the front TV. of the, the uh, speaker around right. the TV yeah. set exactly exactly yeah it was not good quality and no. you know what I never really revisited it all that much but I did have them yeah I used to listen to that like on when we take driving car trips vacations yeah. no that's perfect yeah and when they actually came out with Betamax and VHS it was like oh all my dreams were realized anyway. In beautiful standard def, which was better, which was better than nothing. I was like a pig in mud. So happy. (laughs) Are we done with this one? I'm done with this one. Let's. uh, You want to jump into the next one? Yes. I just want to go off the record real quick, or off subject. This next one, and then especially the third one. Mm -hmm. I think the artwork is really fantastic, and he comes up with some pretty interesting creature designs. In these next two issues. So mm-hmm. uh, the first one with the robots, it was all like, okay, they look like wind-up toys. But I yeah. think I think he might have got his groove in, in these next two yes. as far as uh, some interesting aliens. Right. But some of them, again, are retreads. Uh, one of them very, very much so in, yeah. the, in the third one. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So second storyline is called uh, Crucial Elements. And this is issues 7 through 10. Published date was probably 1969, uh, or was 1969. I assume it's the same people. Yeah, same guy. The writers are Angus. Yeah, well, Angus Angus Allen. 
Was that in was, the... was supposedly the writer. Really? Ang- Angus Allen. Yes. And then Harry F. Linfield is the artist. And then, yeah. Where'd you get the writer? Because in the book, it just says unknown. Oh, well, I read it on a, uh... yeah, I read that. Angus oh. Allen. Yeah. Cool. I don't know whether that was off of the Amazon site or whether it was off of a, a wiki. But, yeah, Angus Allen was the writer on some of these first ones. All right, great. Thanks. Okay. The Enterprise is in orbit around planet Crucial 3 that is millions of light years from Earth in a far-flung galaxy. Spock alerts Kirk to his disturbing findings that predict the planet will blow itself up in five minutes. Kirk orders the landing party to return to the ship immediately. The landing party barely makes it back before Kirk gives the order to break orbit and speed away from the planet. Sure to Spock's prediction, Crucial 3 blows up. The landing party gets angry that again they almost die on some alien rock while Spock and Kirk stay safely aboard the ship. What? What version of Star Trek is this? They start a mutiny and cast Kirk... Dr. McCoy and an unlucky crewman out of the ship in the green-colored space wagon, a.k.a. a shuttlecraft. With no hope of keeping up with the warp drive-equipped Enterprise, Kirk is able to pilot the space wagon to a Class M planet where they land and are taken prisoner almost immediately. Turns out the world is doomed, and its fearless leader, Zella, wants to escape it in Kirk's shuttle, while leaving his citizens way behind. Kirk shouts, Hey Google! at that odd green space wagon, and tells it to shut down and lock up until it again hears from the captain. Incensed by this brazen act, Zella throws Kirk, McCoy, and the other guy into a subterranean prison where primitive Morlock-like hairy humanoids are huddling in the dark. The troglodytes attack! Outnumbered and weaponless, Kirk and his team are beaten to the ground and about to be clubbed to death when Zella enters with security guards that repel the Morlocks. Kirk is taken and shown by Zella that his planet Vultra is freezing due to their dying star. He unsuccessfully tries to get Kirk to unlock the ship, and when that fails, he tricks Kirk by recording his voice saying, Open Sesame! Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, the mutineers have part of the ship, and Spock works on a plan to capture them. Zella takes the ship, the shuttle, and blasts off, escaping his doomed world. With all the universe to navigate in, Zella somehow catches up with the Enterprise, which is warp drive equipped, by the way, and flies close enough for the mutineers to shoot the space wagon out of the sky. Thinking that his captain was on that shuttle, Spock thirsts for the dish best served cold. Revenge! He takes a squad of men armed with phasers and totally fails to capture or kill any of the mutineers. Spock returns to his lab and finally comes up with an antitoxin to the poison that the landing party apparently picked up on on the planet. Spock meets with the mutineers alone and gasses them with the antidote. When they open the doors to their part of the ship. They turn back to normal, the mutineers, and promptly forget their mutinous actions. Meanwhile on Vultra, 
The people are friendly and want Kirk's help now that their dictator, Zella, is gone. They work together to modify their fleet of interplanetary spaceships, which happen to look like the Concorde, supersonic transport, to have their power and capacity to fly most of the non-Morlocks off their doomed world. As the ship lifts off and escapes their planet's gravity well, a gold and red-colored space bug from the Enterprise is sent down to pick up Kirk and his party. The Enterprise shepherds the fleet of Vultran vessels to a new planet that they will call home. The end. So he was able to, he being Kirk, was able to just gather material around and make these uh, airplanes turn into... Airplanes, yes. Well, okay, are they airplanes... Are they air, are they airplanes or are they ships that can move around their solar system? Yeah, I guess no they can further. go around there in orbit. Right. So it does they say space fleet. Right. Right. Now they look like the old Concorde, you know, from the late sixties and, and and seventies. Right. In fact, I went ahead and did a little look up. It turns out the the Concorde, which is very much like what these Voltron ships look like, it made its inaugural flight on March second. 1969. Ah, so. So that's the same year that this came out. It would have been pretty new, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, Harry Linfield, he definitely seems to be, you know, like reading the morning paper saying, hey, we can use that. Works for me. Looking around and seeing what he can reuse. Yeah, I just did under... So did did he combine, like, two ships into one? Is that basically what they did? Because it looks like that's all that happened was that he had, there's two ships, and then exactly. he connects them by the wing, and then yep. now they can fly in space. Yep. <laughs> That's what they do. That's it. <laughs> I mean, at least we can, as far as we can tell. Right. Yeah. But the, they don't have warp drive, so. You're asking too many questions. And if they did have all these spaceships, why did Zella not take them a long time ago? Well, well because it wasn't. Okay, so, yeah, a lot of this doesn't make sense. So, the problem with the uh, shuttlecraft, whatever they're calling it. Space bug. Space it bug. actually has space bug written on the side of the bug. Oh, my God, it does. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they, they, they make a big point about the space bug not being able to keep up with the Enterprise that's, that's warp equipped. Right. And then, later, when Zella's got the space bug, he's able to catch up with the Enterprise. And get shot. So it's like, be consistent, guys. Right. And of course, um, the space bug is almost, almost, not quite, but almost 100% Thunderbird 2. Or no, uh, Thunderbird, no, Thunderbird 2, right. So Thunderbird 2, if you remember Thunderbirds, of course you do. Although it was very much before your time, I'm sure you saw reruns. They had like four different ships that were used, or vehicles, let's call them vehicles, that were used for various rescue missions. And they each had a number. So Thunderbirds 2 was like a heavy lift vehicle. And uh, it looks like an oval kind of thing. And it's got like spoilers on the back which is just like what the space bug has and it's got like two red like engine exhaust things in the back and its wings are swept forward yeah it's a, it's close to a clone 
Although they do have windows, you know, it's a smaller vehicle. So Thunderbird 2 was a really big, pretty big vehicle, heavy lift vehicle, where these shuttles are, are a lot, are smaller. Right. But it's funny because it's got the number of the uh, space bug right on the spoiler. So I can see a page right now, it's got a number seven on it. Seven on it, right. And then, then later, that one that picks them up later is has a two or something on it, or four. There you go. What, yeah, whatever the number is. And, and they're different colors, apparently, too. So right. this one's green, the other one's like a gold, red, whatever. And and that is exactly where they have the numbering on uh, the Thunderbirds. Yeah, uh, I, I pulled up the, what the ships Thunderbird ships look like, and, and you're absolutely right. It, yeah. it looks just like the Thunderbird, too. Right. And then that, uh, that space wagon that was doing the repairs, it looks like uh, Thunderbird 4. Oh, Thunderbird okay. 4 was a, an aquatic ship, but it looked almost exactly like that except like they just took thunderbird 4 and put that uh that uh checkered pattern on it and the uh, deflector dish in the grill and and called it a day (laughs) (laughs) okay that's awesome yeah yeah and of course i kind of refer to them as morlocks the um the primitive uh hairy guys i didn't put two and two together but yeah they do look like the morlocks yeah, from um, what 1950 or maybe 1961, whatever it was, that version with Rod Taylor of the uh, Time Machine. Time Machine. So, but uh, I really like the design of the aliens for Zilla. Yeah, doesn't he look interesting? Very interesting. He has yeah. a, a kind of an elongated head, but mm-hmm. a tapered face almost. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Almost human, but not quite. Right. I, I really liked it. Yeah. And there's one in particular where Zillow's, Zilla's whatever head is. He's like in Kirk's face, and they're talking together. And it looks really good. It's a good drawing. Yeah, very interesting. The 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 panel layout of these issues is kind of unique mm-hmm. in it all by itself. Because, uh, mm-hmm. like you said, that one with their faces, you know, in profile right next to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, that takes up maybe like a a third of the page um and uh and then all the other panels they're kind of they're not a consistent shape or size right so reading it every once in a while got a little difficult because i I was kind of like i might go down a little too far or something like that but uh but it is weird that i was i never really had that much problem with it no whereas when you look at it as a whole you're like oh my god it's just a mess of little squares (laughs) but then when you're reading it yeah i didn't i mean i think only one time did i read the wrong balloon out of order yeah uh issue one when i was first going through it it, it kind of freaked me out a little bit but then when i said okay well this looks like four rows so when i just said okay it's four rows okay that that works yeah everything's flowing okay fine it's four rows right uh, even though exactly you know <laughs> it's not straight across which is kind of makes it interesting Oh yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, if this was you know two page spread in a in a magazine, I mean it would definitely stand out. Right. Okay. Um, anything else? Um, I have a comment about the uh, the gun that the crazy crewmen use. I mean, it's like a oh uh, <laughs> oh did, did they blow the bug out of the sky? Yeah, it's like a cannon that they're actually yeah. uh, aiming manually. Manually and there's like aiming. a portal there, so I yep. guess they're. Shooting it out in space, maybe the windows yeah, open. It, it looks, it looks like a big harpoon gun or right. something. And it's on a tripod. I mean, this you couldn't lift this thing. This is heavy. Right. And yeah, it, it must be a force. It must be a force field. But 
Yeah, it looks like an open portal. But I don't think that's how the guns work on the Enterprise. They don't. They don't work that way. But these guys didn't know, apparently, so... Right. There you go. All um, right. So I, I've got a few more questions. All right. Um, there is a particular... I just don't know... Maybe you can help me with this. Um, when Spock is doing his assault on the mutineers... And he's getting all angry? Oh, he's oh he's he's angry. You 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 guys killed my captain, and he's really like pissed. He, I mean, he wants to to kill these guys, which is very not very not Spock. But my my main point is they're they're like assaulting. They're going into the room where the uh, where the mutineers are and stuff. And it's like Spock and this other guy, and this other guy is saying, "Great alien toads, that's too close." Right. Love that. Um, and then uh, and then. You can tell the mutineers are on the right, and then in between the two, there's a red-colored clown. It that's does look like a clown. <laughs> that's all I can say. It looks like a clown, complete with big, long shoes, and he seems to have a smile on his face, Right. and he appears to be completely shot in the back, and yeah. it's like... And and it looks like he's got some cloth over like his left uh, left side of his front, like like maybe somewhere around the the pectoral and down a bit. It looks like it's red and it's got like a black cross on it. And it's like I'm looking at this, going, "What strange parallel universe did I step into? What is this?" <laughs> so one of the mutineers dressed up as a clown and got shot in the back, maybe. I maybe. You like you know we wanted to keep our morale up, so <laughs> so Joe got in a in a clown costume. I don't know. Yeah, that that that, that panel does not make any sense at all. No. And and I, I just I just moved on, but it was like no, I'm I can't make that make sense. I mean, he even has the pointy hat with the balls on it. I mean, it, it's a clown. It's, it's a clown. It's not like it's just a small picture, and we're not you know we're reading into it. It it that's right. what it is. Yeah. But he almost looks like he's like high stepping, yeah, like, and he, uh, like he's a German happy. soldier he or has something. That big grin. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Okay, I just thought I'd mention. I kind of wondered if maybe it was an inside joke for the maybe the magazine itself. Maybe, maybe. there was some sort of like count the clowns in the issue. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's they just threw one in there. I don't know. That I, would be interesting know. to find out. Yeah, or maybe it was some cultural reference or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, so uh, maybe he'll know. He probably would. He right. probably would. Okay, so just surprised how emotional Spock was. So when they shot the uh, the space bug out of the sky, and by the way, that looked pretty cool when mm-hmm. they shot out of the sky. I mean, you could see the parts of the space bug, and then it's like, I mean, you could you see the white kind of like stuff going off of it. I mean, it looks like there's real force there, and it blew it up. But good artist work. But Spock is like totally like lost it. I mean. And they even mention that he's normally so unemotional, and you know he's like, yeah, crying vengeance. Yeah, I kind of wondered if they were trying to say he was affected by the the spores or whatever. Oh, the same but, things. But they, but then he he seems bounced back to normal pretty quick without yeah. his antidote. Yeah, I I don't know, but he says find every last one of them. Kirk's dead. His killer must be destroyed. And even some of the other security guys are saying Spock's gone crazy, man. 
Right. I've never known him to care about anything before. It's like, oh, you don't want to mess with Kirk, I guess. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. And then he's, then he, like I said, after that firefight and the clown gets shot, he suddenly <laughs> uh, goes back to being normal Spock. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, in the end, when they do the antidote thing, it's like, hey, everything's cool. You know, you killed Kirk, but hey, everything's cool. Right. Right. Anyway. That's it. That's all I have to say about that. That's it? That's it. All right. All right. Well, then we'll move on to the third story, which is entitled Beware the Beast. And this came out in the Joe 90 issues 11 through 14 from March 1969 to May 1969. Mm. So, again, no covers. All right. So uh, the story starts, which is a pretty amazing start of a story. With uh, Kirk battling a gorilla warrior from the Planet of the Apes <laughs> with swords. And he kind of looks like he's got a uh, Klingon outfit on. But Does he? I thought it looked just like the what they oh, wear in, in Planet okay. of the Apes. Well, I'm, I'm sorry for disturbing you. I know. It's all right. I just thought it was pretty cool that it starts off with a Planet of the Apes crossover. Yes. We thought IDW was the first one to do it. Oh, no. The, U- the UK guys beat us to it. Anyways. It's not really Planet of the Apes, but they look just like it. The ape warrior swings at Kirk and misses, and then Kirk is able to lightly, I'm assuming lightly, um, kind of poke him with the sword. So instead of impaling him, he just gives him a little tap, thus ending the match. And then we find out it was all just a friendly match and not the life and death situation that it seemed. They then dine with the uh, ape leaders, and Kirk invites the leader to visit Earth. And the leader says that that's not going to be possible since his planet is getting old and soon they'll all die out. Their traveling days are over. Uh, The dinner is suddenly cut short when a guard comes in and informs them that a gorilla family vanished from their home. The leader says that it's superstitious to enter a house of an individual that vanished. So Kirk and his crew are allowed to do it. When they enter the house, they find that the stove still has cooking food on it, so they know that the vanishing must have just very recently happened. Suddenly, Kirk and several of the others are vanished themselves, and they just reappear in a cage with a giant praying mantis looking over them. Meanwhile, in orbit of the Planet of the Apes, Spock is able to pick up a faint transporter beam from very, very far away. And then later in the story, they even say that it's from another galaxy. They cannot quite pinpoint exactly where it is due to the distance, but Spock orders the ship to travel towards it, and they'll see what they can find. Meanwhile, in Kirk's cage on the unknown planet, the crew find themselves a part of a zoo, and the praying mantises are the dominant species, uh, and they're just taking their kids around, looking at all these exotic aliens, including themselves. The insects uh, do not seem to understand them when they speak, so I guess universal translators don't work with these guys, or they just don't care. That night, once the zoo is closed for the day, the crew are able to use their phasers, which they still had for some reason, and they shoot the doors off of their cage. They then go around and they free the other trapped aliens, or at least the nice ones, including uh, the gorilla that went missing earlier in the story. One crew member accidentally frees a bad monster, and it turns out to be a giant spider monster, which they call it a spider monster, but it looks like an ant. But it's giant, and it attacks him. This causes the other crew members to rush towards him and kill the giant bug with their phasers. 
The crew and the free gorilla make their way to the transporter room, and they just beam randomly off the planet. And they find themselves on another planet, and they're suddenly attacked by savage humans, who are eventually able to capture them in some crude-looking nets. Meanwhile, Spock arrives at the planet of the praying mantises in a cherry-red transport. They call it again the space wagon, not the space bug. They land, and they immediately stun all of the praying mantises. They find another alien captured in a cage who's a nice guy, and he tells them that Kirk and the gorilla just just took off. The nice alien tells Spock where the transporter room is. Spock frees the guy, and they travel back to the room. Spock is able to use the transporter for himself, and he and a small group of security personnel beam to the same planet Kirk went to. They're able to use their phasers to stun the savages who were about to cook and eat Kirk and his group. Spock says that he somehow brought a remote control for the transporter that then beams them back from that planet back to the Praying Mantis planet and then eventually back to the Enterprise. So we flash forward a day or so later and the Starfleet crew are about to teach the gorillas one of the most important and most popular Earth games called soccer. I think it's also called football in the UK. Kirk orders his crew to go easy on them since they've never played before. But uh, this advice seems to be unneeded because the gorillas turn out to be complete naturals and easily show up the humans on the pitch. The end. Yes. Quite the turnabout at the beginning, which I kind of like. I completely agree with you. This is Planet of the Apes time. Mm -hmm. And you're probably thinking, oh, General Ursa or whatever, and Urko or whatever. And these guys are like, you know, going to be vicious warriors and Kirk's fighting for his life and then uh, no it turns out that it's just uh, it, it's just a little competition and then you even find out that the uh, the gorillas are kind of wimpies kind of wimpy wombly wombly and uh, they're they're actually looking for protection because they've kind of fallen back from the pinnacle of their society right. uh, and, and want uh, some of the uh, federation's uh, assistance uh, protecting them so quite unexpected yeah, no, that first uh, that first two page spread with the with the get apes was quite good. Yeah, it was cool. I gotta ask though, why is I mean these guys don't look that like they have much tech. This is probably a pre warp society. What is Kirk sitting around, you know, <laughs> having drinks with these guys and little gladiatorial games here and there? It's like, huh? Well, maybe they used to be very advanced, and then when the well, nuclear bombs went off. <laughs> devolved a little bit <laughs> yes okay but oh yeah well definitely the idea that they came they they lost some of their their technological edge that that definitely was possible but these guys i mean you're not seeing everything but everything you do see it looks like planet of the apes right I the mean, houses they, look like they're like uh you know mud mud, mud huts, huts. Kind of thing. exactly it's like i don't see any evidence of any high tech here no, um, it, it looks just like Planet of the Apes. So yeah. Planet of the Apes came out in 68, right? Uh, sounds right. So so really Star Trek and Planet of the Apes only crossed over in 68? Because isn't that the last year Star Trek was on that season? What do you mean in the comics? No, no, no. In the, in the, just in, in pop oh, culture. Oh, time-wise? Yeah. In pop culture? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, when, when did the second uh, movie come out? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. 
Well, at the very least, the first one. So, obviously, Planet of the Apes, that was fresh in people's minds. Right, but I'm just surprised it. that the popularity of Planet of the Apes didn't spur Star Trek to have a fourth season. I was just, I didn't realize that they came out the same year, that the last season of Star Trek and Planet of the Apes were the same year. And yet Star Trek got canceled and Planet of the Apes became a huge pop culture juggernaut. Yeah, but, but really, there wasn't much space stuff involved. In Planet of the Apes. It was just the very beginning. I guess not. It's just sci-fi. I, I lump it all together because it's... Right. Well, it was... It was Star Wars, as we all know. The popular Star Wars that gave Star Trek a, a new lease on life. So, thank you, right. Star Wars. Which is a little bit more... I mean, it, you know... I think that's a better match. Sure. Than, uh, than Planet of the Apes. But, yeah. Plus, they both have Star in the title, which is always yeah. a plus. There was also 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh yeah, that's right. So, no, yeah. but that one's boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, okay. So they were faithful to Clark's novel, and it was an awesome movie. And visually, wow. I mean, even now, it's pretty cool. Well, pretty cool. But it, no, it was not an action adventure. Right. Yeah. If you think Star Trek: The Motion Picture is boring, pop in two thousand and one. Yeah, but the thing is, there was some pretty, I mean, there's a pretty cool narrative going there that Kubrick didn't choose to explain everything. You had to kind of like figure it out for yourself. Right. And so there was some pretty cool storytelling going on there in 2001 Space Odyssey. I don't know if I could say that exactly with Star Trek The Motion Picture. Eh, It had a a little bit. A little bit, (laughs) a little bit, but you know. No, you're right, you're right. Yeah, so the march continues on to see cross-cultural references in these comics, which is interesting. Right. Yeah, it makes, makes me kind of regret that we didn't read them earlier. Well, better late than never. Yeah. Well, what better way to celebrate the 300th episode than to, to finally get around to these? Exactly, exactly. And I really liked how this is from a UK... Point. I mean, they use aerials instead of antenna and things like that. Every once in a while, there's a, a random word that we don't uh-huh. use. And then I really thought it was funny that of all the sports that humans play, they, they're playing soccer. Exactly. Soccer. makes Which sense. is not very popular here, but in the UK, exactly. it's, it's the number one sport. Exactly. So uh, the only thing that would have been more appropriate is cricket or something. But uh, I, I think... I think soccer is straightforward enough that aliens could figure that out pretty quickly. Right. I just want to point out that Kirk looks a little bit like a fool in this story. (laughs) What? what, By just randomly beaming somewhere? Well, okay, so he and his men get transported to the Mantis world, and they're basically captured. So, whoops! You weren't on top of things, Kirk. I mean, they went into a situation that they knew there was potentially going to be some action going on, but they got themselves captured. And then after escaping their capture, the the Mantis Jail, mm-hmm. they transport not back to the Gorilla Planet, but some other planet that they decide, oh, let's go, let's go exploring. And then they're captured by cannibals. Right. Okay, so Kirk is not. This is not a good day for Kirk. It's, um, it's a bad day for Kirk. Yeah. And then finally, Spock needs to save Kirk yet again, because basically Spock has proven he can take care of himself and his landing party, no problem. Right. 
because they're jumping around too, uh, you know, trying to catch up with Kirk and stuff. So I'm just saying, Kirk's not looking too good in this issue. You are correct. No, it didn't make sense, and and it and in the story, it doesn't even act like the aliens are right behind them or anything. It's just like, oh, here's the transporter, jump on, and it's just like, well, you were. Oh, I guess they were being chased. Yeah, you're. Never mind. They yeah. were being chased. So I guess they had a. Had so they fast. they were about to, and they but they had guns the whole time. So they sat there at least a day in their cell. Yes, biding with, their time. With like families, you know, taking their little kid eating popcorn up to the thing. <laughs> Look at the funny monkey people, and then <laughs> they could have shot their way out the whole time because it doesn't look like they're like guarded by anything. It just looks like they're part of a zoo, and there's just families walking around. You know. Yeah, but it, in the end, it was smart that they tried to get out at night when most of the guards and whatever there was there wasn't a lot of mantis activity. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, now, the mantises aren't very smart for not taking weapons off of them. No. I mean, obviously, if they have the ability to beam a transporter that can go huge distances, they're obviously technologically Across advanced. Across the galaxy. Exactly. Another galaxy. They say another galaxy. Oh, a gal- oh my God. Again? Okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. They, they don't do things small here. So <laughs> they've got that kind of technology, but they can't recognize energy weapons that people well, have um, and they they have energy weapons they have yes. those little staff things exactly right so, so it's not like they're not aware of what they are exactly but well i guess it's handy right because yeah. that's how they burn their way out of their jail cell and then how else were they going to kill the ant creature the spider yeah. creature exactly but of course unfortunately it looks like those uh, those phasers must have been out of power because we know you could set it to wide field and be able to take out some cannibals. Um, right. Yeah, they don't do anything on the. On they don't the do planet. anything there. They have them. They show them pointing, but they don't show anything coming out of them. Yeah. So what, they run into some woods or something, and then they get netted. They okay. get netted. Come on, guys. You could do better than that, Kirk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, maybe he, maybe the problem is he's wearing a red shirt. Kirk is <laughs> that whole time, right? I Same mean, look shirt. at him. He's got he's got a red shirt on. Poor Man. guy, poor guy. <laughs> okay, I, I'm just kind of surprised because he's he's he, he's Kirk. He he's hero guy. Right. He looks he looks like eh, kind of an idiot. I'll tell you one of the things that I thought was interesting art wise was mm-hmm. the transporter room that the yeah. bugs have. It actually looks like the transporter room from Gold Key. Huh? Which doesn't look like the transporter room from Star Trek. Ah. But I thought it, when they walked in, I was like, oh, this is the gold key transporter room. Yeah. And then they show like two shots of it, and, and both times I think it looks just like the gold key one. Right. So, just funny. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the artist did see a gold key comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it w- didn't a lot of that artwork, wasn't it done in Italy? Oh, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, they just, they just went over there, over there, and checked out what the Italians were doing. Yeah. Nice transporter room you have there. I think we can use that. <laughs> we're gonna borrow that transporter room. <laughs> Interesting how Spock had to give the order for his men to use needle guns as a non-lethal weapon rather than phasers and s- instead of just know. stun. Exactly. Set phasers to stun, baby. That's all you need to do. So they apparently didn't know that. Uh, the producers of this comic. Right. So, yeah. uh, let's see. 
Uh, we already mentioned Planet of the Apes. I obviously got it from that. And I think that's the only borrowing that was going on in here, right? Um, I mean, they they still got the uh, the Thunderbirds number two sure. for a shuttle, but that, well, let's not double count. Right. Uh, the Cannibals, I, I felt like the Cannibals were also an extension of Planet of the Apes because they kind of acted like, they kind of looked like the humans, Nova's people. Oh, hmm. And then especially when they threw the net on them, I was like, oh, man. I mean, I know that a net is a weapon that a primitive would use, but mm-hmm. it also reminded me of Planet of the Apes when they right. capture, uh, what's his name? Charles Aston. Yeah, I was trying to think of his real name. Taylor. Or his, uh, Taylor, that's it. <laughs> so um, I do want to mention one thing about the book itself. that uh, We, we kind of talked praises at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, but we didn't mention the way these stories are laid out, they were in a magazine and they were two page spreads in a magazine. Right. Right. Which means that the panel in the middle is split between page one and page two. Uh, uh-huh. So the way the book, the, the hardcover book is split up. I mean, each page again is two pages, mm-hmm. but because it's a hardcover book and it's like 500 pages long, it doesn't open flat like a magazine would. Right. And so it's really hard to read. Middles in, in, uh, yeah. panels and the creases, right? The, yeah, yeah, so, I, I agree. Yeah, I bought the book, volume one and volume two. Beautiful book, love it. And it's kind of hard to read. I mean, you would think they'd be able to put a little more like white paper or something in the seam, right? So that it wouldn't make it so hard to get to, especially uh, word bubbles are in the in the seam, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and I wish that uh, IDW would have released it as a you know on Comixology or something like that, so you could easily read it on a tablet where you wouldn't have that crease problem. But I waited like what it's been out for like two years, a year, a year or two, and I've yeah. been waiting for them to finally release it digitally, but they never did. So well. eventually, that's kind of the reason why we waited so long reading these because I was hoping that a digital one would come out. Right. But as of this recording, they have not done that to either the UK comic strips or the US comic strips. Well, they'll probably do it eventually. Although it is kind of, it has been a while. Right. So, but aside from that, I really like what they've done with restoring all the all the art. Looks really good. Yeah, it looks really good. It's colorful. It's vibrant. You got to figure these things would have uh, been decaying over time. I mean. Right, early seventies, new, late sixties. Yeah, because you know right. it wasn't on glossy paper back then. It would have just been on newsprint. Right. Which, I mean, I have comics from the seventies and eighties, and they, even though I've kept them in bags and stuff, they eventually start yellowing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, so you can imagine what just something even older would look would have looked like. Right. Right. Well, that's all I'd say about this one. Yeah, um, me too. I, I am enjoying. It's good. It a I enjoyed lot. it. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, as a general rule, I'm enjoying these more than Gold Key. So if I had to rank them from a, uh, a standpoint of quality, I would rank these a little higher in my enjoyment so far. But there are some really good Gold Keys also. Right. Um, and we've only gotten through the first three stories. So let's see what's uh, coming up. Right. I think one of the benefits to this one is is that um, the stories are shorter. Yeah. So Gold Key a lot of times feels like there's so much filler because they're 
printing a uh, you know they have Bullseye. ten pages ten pages worth of material, but they're making it into a twenty two page book. <laughs> um, whereas yeah. this, I mean, you know, six pages and they were done, right? Because the story was over and they didn't have right. to pad it any longer. Right. So um, although. A lot of time, Oh, go ahead. Although personally, I think that this whole thing with the cannibals, a little stop off on Cannibal Land, just reeks to me of filler. <laughs> Why? Now, now, mind you, it would have made it a really short story, but it's like, wh- where where is Kirk now? Wh- how is he going to screw up now, Gilligan? Oh, now <laughs> he's on a cannibal planet. Oh my god! It just seemed like it was. I mean, I know they need to structure things. Because you want to have a cliffhanger at the end, you know, when you when you have the break for the right, week. Right, right. It's just, oh, really? Really? Cannibals? Okay. <laughs> no, I, I get with you on that one. But but yeah, so, yeah you're, you're right. They, they don't have to have as much filler as sometimes the Gold Key have. Right. And then the Gold Key doesn't have to have it either. They just do. Yeah. Because, I mean, back in that time... It was very common for a comic book to have more than one story in it, but for whatever reason, Gold Key insists on doing one story all the way through, which is good if you're telling a, a fully fleshed out story. Sure. But it, a lot of times it just seems like you only had like 10 pages worth of material in your... I don't know. That's just me, though. Right. I'm, I'm, again, I recognize I'm not the target audience for that for that book. That book was written for a kid that was in the uh, the 70s where... I'm an old man in the in the, <laughs> in the, in the 19s. You can so, be older. Uh, all right. Yeah, well, a product that was, of their times. What was that? A product of their time. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, that was it for 300. Still can't believe we've we've done 300 issues, and that doesn't even include all the, you know, April Fools and all that stuff that we've done. Right. So we've even done more than that. I think 300 is pretty impressive. And spending 10 years on this is amazing. So yeah. how, many, how many more years did we finish? I have no idea. Did you, you hazard to estimate? Because you estimated. I think the, I estimated five ad- years in the beginning when I when when I took all the comic books that were out right. in 2008 and okay. 2009. And I was like, if we did, I think I was doing four. I was like, if we do four issues a week, we could get done in five years. But then they keep making new ones. And, uh, we, and we, we bumped it down to three a week instead of right. four. And we don't do every week. The, we, you know, life gets in the way. Yeah. But but I think we've done pretty well. Pretty well. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, at least a couple people are listening, or at least they, they are listening, so that's always nice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and hopefully somebody will take us up on uh, your offer for the uh, the free Shinzu. Exactly. Just, uh, send us an email that says, I'm listening, and... <laughs> I wouldn't mind a free Shenzhou. <laughs> that will do it. So, so send that email right away. Exactly. There's, there's so many other people that are sending, crafting yeah. emails right now. You better hurry. Right, right. You better, you better yeah. send it fast. Exactly. We don't have a, we don't have a backup plan. I mean, I, uh, um, what's what would it be called? We don't have a second place. Oh, tiebreaker. Yeah. We, we don't have a second. We, we don't have a second place prize. That's right. So, so, okay. But anyways. So, thank you, Donovan, for the years of fun and enjoyment that we have okay. spent on this endeavor. Your idea, and a grand idea it was. Right, but it wouldn't it be anything without you, Ken. Oh, there you go. There you You're go. the one that keeps it all grounded. Ah, 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on this special episode. Should we mention what we're doing next week? Next episode, we'll be doing storylines 4, 5, 6, and 7 from the Joe 90 series, which actually I think will end the uh, – I think that's all they had until it became – Well, then it became uh, TV 21 and Joe 90 Weekly, so I guess ah. they changed the changed the name of the magazine. Okay, okay. So if you're following along at home, kids, storylines 5, 6, 7, and 4. I can I can count in order. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Four through seven. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. See you next time, everybody. On the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here